to man Jay McIntyre. Gets on the end around. Double uh, reverse now taken by LaVisca. Pitch it back to Montez. Throws it back out the far sideline. McIntyre, the catch, runs upfield across the 40. Gets by a tackler at the 35, at the 30 along the numbers. And he trips over the 30-yard line. And he's down to the 27-yard line. You had three laterals and eventually a gain of 21 yards. LaVisca wide left. Montez to throw, down the left side to fade. LaVisca's in the end zone, over the shoulder, catch is made by LaVisca Chenault. Touchdown, touchdown Colorado. How do you cover that man? Tight bunch formation, takes a snap, left side, big hole, in zone, touchdown, touchdown Colorado. Now he's four, count of four touchdowns for number two in this ball game. And for the first time on this Saturday afternoon here in Boulder, the Buffaloes have got the lead. Welcome into Buff Stampede Radio, Adam Munster Tiger publisher of BuffStampede.com. Here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, it's been uh, a few weeks since we did a podcast. You uh, Life's been pretty busy for you there at the Blake Street Tavern. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, football season is one thing. When the Rockies make the playoffs, it's uh, pretty rough. So I haven't been doing any podcasts the last couple weeks, unfortunately. So, But it's nice to be back and obviously have some positivity to talk about. Yeah. This team is off to a hell of a start. So. Hard not to compare this 2018 squad with the 2016 team. It, there's a lot of similarities between these groups in terms of the camaraderie and, and seemingly kind of their ability to win close games. Yeah, I mean, I think those two things are certainly the case, just the fact that they've won. <laughs> there obviously yeah, right. isn't a lot of winning teams to compare this program to, so naturally you're going to go back to that team from two years ago. I mean, offensively, obviously, this team is considerably better than the 2016 team was, and defensively, the 2016 team is a lot better. Although I would say this team has been more stout defensively than maybe people expected mm-hmm. but obviously that's the secondary of that 2016 team blows the, this year's group out of the water buff stampede radio is again brought to you by ever pillow by infinite moon these guys are huge buffs fans these amazing pillows are made here in colorado they were even highlighted on cbs denver news last week not only are they great pillows but they help employ former felons addicts and homeless great pillows with a great purpose fully customizable pillows for every sleep style just add or remove the natural fill to get the pillow exactly how you want no chemicals memory foams cheap polyfoams all natural and ridiculously comfortable support a colorado company that loves the buffs and makes an amazing product save 10 percent now at infinitemoon.com and use go buffs in the cart always free delivery and a 100 day risk-free trial ever pillow by infinite moon made by us in colorado perfected by you infinitemoon.com so the Buffaloes obviously took care of business against New Hampshire and UCLA. Tyler, did they prove they're a legit football team against Arizona State? Is that the game that now you you feel like you can really feel confident about this this football team? I guess it just depends on what your definition of legit would be. Uh, I mean, I think contender in the South. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is the South's not very good this year. There's not really a you know top ten team in the South. I would say it's probably fair mm-hmm. uh, nationally. It's kind of a mixed bag. There's a lot of positives for all these teams, but there's also a lot of negatives. I think everyone's capable of winning bowl games in this division, outside of obviously UCLA because they're 0-5, but, I mean, their schedule's been outrageous. There's some schedules around the country they could have played that probably would have got them bowl eligible. So, yeah, I mean, I think they're legit in that they're a bowl team. They're probably in the top half of the South division. I think all those things are pretty clear at this point. 
Do I think they're a top 10 team? Probably not. And even if they are, ASU is not the team that's going to prove that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think they've, they've proven that they can beat legitimately talented Power 5 competition. Put your odds maker hat on. If you're putting odds on the Pac-12 South right now before Saturday's game between CU and USU, you'd still have USC as the most likely candidate to come out of the South? Yeah, probably. Uh, I mean, obviously they've played a tougher schedule to date. They seem to have caught their groove a little bit lately. I I still think this is the worst USC team we've seen in a while, not really in terms of talent, but they're just inexperienced. It's a young group. Um, it's gonna they're gonna have some ups and downs, but yeah, I mean I think you see USC at home. We haven't beaten them at home ever, basically. Uh, USC's so. never lost at home under Clay Helton. I think thirteen and zero. Right. So uh, to me, we have to win that game before we start talking about winning the division. So we'll see how it plays out. I still think they'll have a shot, even if they lose this game. Obviously, they're gonna have to go pretty much perfect on the stretch assuming they lose at Washington as well to get there but I think it's possible would you say Colorado three to one odds to win the the division at this point yeah that's probably fair I'd probably have them as the second highest odds at the moment with Utah Uh, third yeah or even Arizona I mean not because I think they're any good but just because they have winnable games remaining they have us at home as well Um, they're somehow two and one in conference I mean obviously they haven't they beat in Oregon State and Cal, so they haven't proven much. But at the end of the day, they've won games, so they're still alive in the mix. I mean, if CU finds a way to win this game, they're going to basically be two games up on everybody in the division and have the tiebreaker over USC and ASU. It would be pretty impossible for them to not win the division, I would think, if they find a way to get this game. You talked a little bit about USC, obviously a young but talented and dangerous football team. What are your expectations going into this game? Do you, do you have tempered expectations, or, or do you have a lot of confidence that Colorado can, can pull this upset off? Um, I do have confidence that they can pull it off. I think if this is this is the year you've got to get USC if you're going to do it, if you're another team in the Pac-12 South. Um, I think talent-wise, we're right there with them in terms of guy, we have a, a better mix of experience and talent level. Uh, USC obviously has a ton of talent. Not a whole lot of experience, young group. So, to me, you know, anytime Lavisca Chenault's on the field, he's probably the best guy on the field. There aren't too many people playing the way that he's been playing. Nate Landman, you can say basically the same thing. When the, when he, the defense is on the field, he's going to be probably the best guy out there. So there aren't too many teams that can say that. That no matter whether the offense or defense is on the field, you have the best guy. Uh, I, I feel like Colorado does have that, and especially to say it against USC is pretty surreal. But I mean. You know, road games, you never know how that plays out. USC is a little bit of a wild card. You know, if everything clicks for them, they could be pretty legit. But if they make mistakes, Colorado's certainly going to have their chances to win. Mike McIntyre has called this the closest team he has coached. I think it was pretty clear by his attitude in the preseason. Mm-hmm. It just seemed a lot more relaxed, kind of reminiscent of going into 16, but... Uh, we were questioning Steven Montez's maturity before the season, the fact he wasn't a team captain. and I don't know if we were. Some people were. <laughs> Some people were, but that kid has grown up. Yeah, and it's you could see it in fall camp how comfortable he was on the field, that he knew what he had to do for this team to be successful. And there haven't been many throws that he's forced this year. I can think of two or three. The one to Jay McIntyre in the CSU game is the first one that comes to mind. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously he forced that one against New Hampshire, but that's kind of, I mean, they were kind of just messing around at that point, the yeah. pick in that game. You know, and most of his incompletions have been throwaways. Smart ones, too. Mm-hmm. There, I, I was trying to think back to the other games, like outside of that Ronnie Blackman muff, there hasn't been a whole lot of turnover opportunities that we've been fortunate on, you know? It's not like we've been fumbling the ball and getting it back. There hasn't been any situation where it was like, whew, got away with one there, which is crazy. I mean, we're almost halfway through the year. Such a stark contrast from last year when at times he just didn't trust himself in the pocket at all. He's actually tied, well, if you go to the fourth decimal point, Tagaloa from Alabama has a fraction better percentage. But if you go on ESPN and and lump them together, they're basically the same Mm -hmm. number one in the country in terms of completion percentage. Certainly the scheme plays into that a little bit, but yeah. I mean, he's made all the all the right plays uh, aside from a couple of those throws we talked about. Uh, and again, going back to the leadership thing, bringing the offensive line in the press conference, doing little things like that really endears yourself to your teammates. Yeah, he's and, learned a thing or two from Phil for sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, that's I, I think even Stephen would admit he just ripped that straight from the Phil Lindsay playbook, which is fine. I mean, that's a good guy to emulate for yeah. sure. And I'm sure he's learned throughout this year that that kind of stuff works. Um, you know, there was rumblings in years past about what did Montez really care about football. And I think he would honestly tell you if you asked him now that he didn't as much as he should have. Yeah. Um, you know, based on how he's handling his approach now. You know, and that, but that's part of growing up. I mean, there are a lot of freshmen who didn't care about their sport the way that they should have in life, you know. And by the time they're an upperclassman, and now he's going to start hearing his name around NFL circles too. And I expect his, you know, focus and maturity to even improve further. If he continues to play the last seven games like he did the first five, he's going to the NFL. He's going to be a first-round pick. Yeah. If it, I, I mean, I honestly believe that. I, we said before the year, we talked about this, that I say if Josh Allen can be a first-round pick, so can Steven Montez. Now, at the time, I didn't say it was likely, but the opportunity for him was out there. And, yeah, I mean, if this team goes 9-3 and three or 10-2 and two or whatever it may be, ranked team, He's going to have unbelievable numbers. He's either going to be a Heisman candidate or his wide receiver will be a Heisman candidate. He's going to get a lot of publicity, and sometimes that's all it takes for an NFL scout. Usually it's kind of interesting. You would think they'd be the first to find a guy because that's their job. But a lot of the time, NFL scouts don't care about you unless you're winning and you're on TV. When Montez gets his first NFL check, he needs to take Kurt Roper out to a really nice steak dinner because it seemed like (laughs) the perfect coach for him at the perfect time. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's not just Montez. A lot of the younger guys in the quarterback room have been saying the same thing about Roper. Say what you want about McIntyre, but the hires that he has made to fill out his staff in the last two or three years have been home runs. I mean, Quandrake, Kurt Roper, Ross Ells even could be thrown in there as well. Uh, Darren Cheverini, and I'm forgetting somebody. Shadon Brown. Yeah, Shadon Brown. Yeah, DJ Elliott has even been impressive so far this year. I mean, all of those guys have had positive impacts on where this program is headed. So that's pretty impressive. LaVisca Chenault is getting all the national attention now, which he obviously deserves. Uh, I was talking with Neil Welk this morning about it. It, I think the most likely scenario is if he keeps balling out like this, is he he would get an invite to New York, but it's going to be really hard for him. To, yeah. to actually win the Heisman. I mean, Tua is, yeah. I mean, I don't know how you could claim anybody deserves it more than he does right now. He's unbelievable, and he hasn't even played a fourth quarter yet. I mean, like, they're destroying everyone. He completes every pass for, like, 75 yards. I mean, he's, listen, LaVisca Chenault's a special player. 
but if you play at Alabama and you beat everyone by 30 and you basically never make a mistake, you're probably going to win the Heisman. And I don't think anybody could really argue against it. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I would almost say the hype has gotten a little too crazy right now just because we haven't played anyone yet. You know, like some of these other guys who are in the Heisman race have played big-time games. But LaVisca's special. He would be the first wide receiver drafted this year. He's not eligible, obviously, so he'll be back. But I feel pretty confident that he would be the first wide receiver drafted now. Certainly, Bolitnikov is a strong possibility sure. at this yeah. point. He's uh, averaging more than 40 yards, receiving yards per game than any other player in the Pac-12 right now. 17 more than anybody in the country. Uh, it's going to be tough. I know his versatility makes it hard for other teams to key in on him, but teams will game plan and figure out certain things to, to absolutely down at some I mean point. you can see that he's already not making those explosive big time plays in some of these games like he's getting a lot of touches he had 13 catches right and 129 yards are still big numbers but if he had 13 catches four weeks ago he would have had 350 yards you know yeah. so yeah I think people are trying to take away those explosive down the field plays but, yeah, there's just no way you're going to be able to take away everything that he provides because a lot of the times he touches and lines up in the backfield. You know, like the, you can't you can't line up in the backfield. So he's going to get the ball whether you want him to or not. We were high on Trayvon McMillan from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, he would have been number five on our top buffs countdown mm-hmm. list, certainly living up to our expectations. Uh, he's a pretty, pretty well-balanced back. Yeah. I think people are surprised by his elusiveness. Uh, we knew he was a big, powerful guy that he run, ran upright and that he was capable of getting three or four yards when you needed three, you know. Um, and all those things have proven to be true for what it's worth. I mean, you put him in, in the goal line and it seems like he finds a way to get where he needs to go on the field. But the, the way that he's making people miss is surprising to me. Uh, he's, he's definitely had more of an explosive mindset than I was expecting coming in. Who surprised you the most on defense so far this year? Uh, Abrams, for sure. Uh, I was a little concerned about him starting. Wasn't sure if he had the straight line speed to really be that number one guy. I mean, he he is going to be starting to look at as a draftable guy as well. And he's been pretty close to lockdown. Uh, There aren't a lot of guys in the country that are going to knock that ball away on fourth down in that Arizona State game. I mean, that's that takes a special talent with an unbelievable offense. He's got a big wingspan to to make that play. So. Yeah, he's, he's been the most impressive to me. We were hearing great things about Mustafa Johnson all spring ball, all camp. But to be as disruptive as he's been, he's got to be up there too. It's For sure. When's the last time a CU defense alignment made that many disruptive plays behind the line of scrimmage? Yeah, no, I mean, he's been great. I expected him to be pretty good. Uh, he's been better than I expected, but not. Uh, Abrams, to me, has been, if you're talking about what did I expect out of this guy versus what he's doing right Mm -hmm. now? Abrams is the answer. Now, obviously, Nate Landman, it would be hard to leave him out of this conversation as well. He's been unbelievable. Um, Overall, defensively, I think a lot of guys have made key improvements, which is what you want to see. I mean, Javier Edwards has been worlds better than he played most of last year. Um, I I think the D-line has helped out mostly. They, They have a lot of guys who can play snaps competitively. You know, last year they didn't have that. Yeah. Colorado's offensive line had its best performance against Arizona State. Did you see enough there that you feel good about their potential going forward, or is the jury still out on that group? I mean, I think the jury's still out probably. It's just one game. Obviously, it's a good game to show up for. ASU's been good on the lines uh, historically, and they've been good on the lines this year, one of the most explosive defensive lines statistically in the country. So, 
it was nice to see. I mean, they definitely moved the ball at will in the second half, which we've seen kind of throughout the season so far. Um, to me, they've finished teams in the second half, and that's what you want to see from a team that has a chance to be special. I talked to Clayton Adams this week you know, about that rotation they have going there. There were seven guys that played in the Arizona State game, even more than that, I think, in the UCLA game. And his point was kind of, look, until some guys are head and shoulders better than the other guys, we're going to keep trying to figure out who, who our best five guys are. Um, with Jake Moretti, we'll, we'll, we got asked about that a little bit later. It, it sounds like you just anything you get out of him is going to be gravy this year. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a, a group of five based on what you've seen so far that you'd prefer to have out there? Not really. I mean, it's been a little bit inconsistent game to game. Um, I would like to see Will Sherman continue to get reps because I think he's the guy that moving forward you need him ready next year. Um, and the guys in front of him certainly haven't been head and shoulders above. He's younger, so that's the guy you'd like to see them go with. The guards, who knows? Well, I think Tons, aside from that idiotic play at the end of the first half against UCLA, has played fairly well. Yeah, I mean, and you're not you're not replacing Purcell, so I think. Right. Yeah, I mean, Purcell obviously isn't your concern right now, which we kind of knew going in that he was a guy that was going to be a staple. Um, yeah, I mean, the other guards have been a little hit or miss. Josh Kaiser has been a little hit or miss. Even Hagler has been a little bit hit or miss. So, yeah, I mean, you got to continue. I mean, it's frustrating because you'd like it to be an easy answer, but none of those guys have really been blowing the doors off. McIntyre said if Frank Phillip didn't have an ankle injury basically at the start of preseason that he's a guy that would be would have been in the mix even earlier mm-hmm. uh, I could see him if there again if there's not a huge separation you have a true freshman that's playing about as well as a fifth year senior I mean at some point you got to roll with the young guy right yeah for sure I and mean, he seems to be getting more and more comfortable too so it wouldn't surprise me at all if by the end of the year he was your staple there and that would have to make you feel pretty good moving forward I mean Sherman and Phillip is and Purcell, really, as your anchor. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are three young guys that are going to be playing together for a long time. Colorado's secondary, I, I didn't look it up but go, this past week, but going into the ASU game, they ranked second in the conference in past defense efficiency. But, I mean, that's I feel like that's a group that's probably going to get exposed at times as we go. I, I like Abrams, to your point. Um, it's not that Worthington and Fisher are playing horribly, but maybe not quite to the level uh, when they start going up against some better quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, there's the thing, interestingly, with the Pac-12 this year, there's not a whole lot of teams with multiple scary wide receivers, which normally in the Pac-12 there's a ton of teams that have mm-hmm. that. This year it's really Washington is the only one that I would put into that category. USC a little bit, Tyler Vaughns and uh, – St. Brown are both, um, Amon Ra are both pretty good, so this game will be a test in that regard. I think the safeties have been mostly okay. Worthington started off really rough, but it seems to me he's got worked his way back into being a little more comfortable of late. Nick Fisher had that one bad play last week, but besides that, he's been pretty consistent overall. Yeah, I mean, out of the out of the units in the second or in the defense, they're probably the most likely to get gashed. but what I liked last week is obviously Wiggly was getting toasted, and they took him out. And Chris Miller had a huge game, so I think that's what's nice about the secondary is that we have options, so you can try another guy if someone's getting eaten alive. Special teams is starting to become more of an issue. Uh, at some point, Alex Kenny will be getting back, which will help there. But James Stefano, 
this is now three of the biggest kicks, or I guess the three biggest kicks of the season he's missed to this point. But uh, he's had the groin issue. It's hard to yeah. It's hard to push the panic button there, but. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely starting to be concerning, but I'm not pushing the panic button yet. I mean, uh, it's you. It's just it's hard to really explain because I still feel like he's automatic, but he hasn't been automatic. So it, I can't really comprehend the fact that he's been struggling, <laughs> I don't think, yet. And as far as Davis Price, I think Davis Price has been fine. That was, he had one bad punt. I mean, that's less than I would have said he would be having. I mean, it's, yeah. there's going to be times where he has bad punts. I mean, it's it's not his job. He's doing it out of necessity. So I'm he pretty much gets a pass from me. Where do you talk about the Jacob Collier play in Nebraska? A lot of whining out of Lincoln, including from their head coach there. Jawan Winfrey's still out from a late hit in that football game, and no one really has been whining about it here in Boulder. Yeah, I mean, we have bigger things to worry about. I mean, I think it's also fair to say Jawan's injury-prone, you know? like He, he was still out of bounds when the guy For sure. No, I mean, yes, it was a dirty play. I'm just saying, like, he struggled to stay healthy no matter what. And it seemed, based on what we had been told, he was already injured before that game. Not the same injury, but having some hamstring issues and missing camp and stuff like that, so... It's a bummer because I like Jawan a lot, and I think he can help this team if he's healthy. But I think it's at this point, it would be hard to expect him to be on the field consistently moving forward for this team. It would be the the one missing piece of this season would be for him to have a great second half of the season in terms of just a feel good story. Um, yeah, you really hope that's the case. Jacob Collier is out for the remainder of the season. Had shoulder surgery. Uh, not a huge drop off there uh, from him to Carson Wells and Alex Changum starting to come on now. Yeah. Um, so again, the depth on this team is starting to show itself uh, definitely this season. Yeah, Carson Wells has been, from what I've seen, pretty good. I probably had the biggest play of the game last week, hitting Manny Wilkins on a you know on a at the end of the game there to force a fourth down, uh, and he was getting to the quarterback. It seemed like consistently all game. Didn't have a big sack or anything, but was causing pressure, which is what you want to see. Yeah, Alex Changum, surprise story, because pretty much everything we heard was that he wasn't ready and that he was going to have to redshirt, and he's just kind of slowly been working his way into the rotation. Given how little football he had played before he got to Boulder, he's now getting on the field. I would think at some point uh, when he gets a lot of experience, he's going to be a, a guy that where just kind of the light just seems to come, kind of come on for he's him. A, is he a sophomore? Yes. So no, no, no. He's a junior. Okay, so yeah. he's really got only one and a half years left to make it happen. But I mean, yeah. he's he's I don't know if half the snatch the last couple games, but he's definitely been in there on a fairly consistent basis the last two weeks. Colorado now has twenty verbal commitments for twenty nineteen. Detona Jackson, uh, junior college defense lineman, is the most recent to come on board. Uh, got a story with him. He talked about the potential to take some other visits. I also have a story on. Jalen Martin, a cornerback that was offered by Cal. He's going to kind of talk about how he sees his recruiting now. So you got 20 verbal commitments on board, but they're going to have to keep recruiting these guys all the way up until that early signing period. We've seen it the last couple of years. They've done a good job so far of holding off some of these other Power 5 teams. Yeah, I mean, it's when you start recruiting with the big dogs, this is the kind of stuff that happens. I mean, if you start putting together top 30 classes, guess what? Other, te- other teams want your kids. <laughs> so... Uh, 
we'll do that too. I mean, we just got a kid to decommit from Iowa State literally today. So, you know, it's not like everybody's only doing it to us. So he hasn't committed here yet, but, I mean, it's just part of the game. you got to recruit these kids year-round. We're set to run a promo on buffstampede.com. It's going to start Thursday morning and run up until kickoff of CU's game at USC on Saturday. Three three months for the price of one. So basically, for I mean, you go to Qdoba or grab a, a, a sandwich for lunch. I mean, you're spending about 10 bucks for, mm-hmm. for the price of one lunch. You can have access to the site all the way through the football season and leading up to the early signing period. So definitely take advantage of that promo. We've got a lot of content coming your way. Uh, full access, again, three months for the price of one up on buffstampede.com Thursday through kickoff on Saturday. Let's jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag. C.T. Buff asked, do you think Coach Chev should do more to target others in the offense outside of Chenault, Nixon, and McMillan? Well, Tony Brown's cut quite a few balls. Jay McIntyre's been targeted. Kyle Evans, maybe to a lesser extent, has been rotating in there a little bit. Um, and then you have those three guys. I, I really don't think you need to com- complain about who's getting the ball at this point. This question literally angered me. Like, why can't we just be happy? We have a Heisman candidate on our football team. Yes, he gets a lot of targets. <laughs> like, it's worked every single time. Like, who cares? Get me the first down. I don't care if it's you, me, LaVisca, Katie Nixon, or your mom. Get me the first down. If you're Chris Bounds' mom, though, you might have an issue with it. Maybe, but Chris Bounds is playing on a team that's ranked. <laughs> that's true. And and by the way, he's played really well as a blocker yeah, this season. Yeah, I love Chris Bounds. You know I do. Yeah, they, we've seen a lot of talk about. I mean that they use the wild card, a wild card, wild cat a lot with Abisca, and that doesn't work if Chris Bounds isn't as mm-hmm. good as he's been. So yeah, I mean he's a big part of what they're doing. Yeah, he was wide open, should have had a touchdown in that ASU game. I didn't see anybody mention it, but hopefully he gets his chance to have one because he deserves the spotlight one time. But yeah, he does a lot of the dirty work that people don't want to talk about. Louisville Buff asked, "What is Jake Moretti's status?" I asked Clayton Adams about that. He said, "Look, it's just he's not 100 percent healthy right now. We don't want to put him in a position where uh, he's going to get further hurt." Uh, I mentioned earlier, just if you can get a couple games out of him, uh, get him a little bit more experience, and then you just hope this offseason, because uh, the Dallas Cowboys player that had the same injury. It seems Smith, yeah. Yeah, it seemed like he kind of, that next year, mm-hmm. it started to fire a little bit more in terms of the nerves in his, in his foot. Yeah, I mean, this is, I've been trying to temper the expectations on Jake Moretti amongst the fans base all year. <laughs> I mean, when... He's just not 100% healthy, and it's hard to put a guy out there. If he gets hurt again, he's probably done. That's just a reality of the situation. So you got to be smart about how he's utilized, and I'd rather have him two or three years down the line than today. Go Buffs 80 had two questions. Number one, who do you think the most impressive freshman has been so far this year? Uh, we'll answer that. Not a, I mean, if we're talking true freshman, not a long list of contenders here. <laughs> no, uh, not at all. I think you'd have to say Antoine just because he's mm-hmm. started every game on a pretty good defensive line. Yeah, Antoine would certainly be up there for me. Um, I mean, Frank Phillip has, is certainly getting up there Yeah, as well. Um, I mean, Hassan Hippolyte, you, people haven't seen a whole lot of him, but physically he's a guy that's extremely impressive as well. So those are the three that stand out to me right now. 
I mean, in a perfect world, maybe you want to have uh, a Hippolyte red shirt, but there's going to be an injury at some point this season, and you're going to need him to play a little bit more um, and get his feet wet. I, I mean, I think he's going to be a starter next year. Yeah, I mean, that certainly seems like the most likely scenario there. Daniel Arias is another one that's quietly played on special teams a lot. Hasn't mm-hmm. I mean, had a huge impact there, but uh, it doesn't look like he's going to redshirt. Yeah, it's it's just, uh, I mean, that's a good sign. I mean, you want your big wide receivers to be have that level of physicality that they'll they're willing to play on special teams, and he's willing to do that. He's looked good from what we've seen in limited reps and in scrimmages and stuff, so I think he's a guy that they expect to play quite a bit next year as well. His other question, do you think next year starting running back is on the team right now? I'm worried about depth at running back. It's tough to say. I mean, Trayvon McMillan's going to just fall in your lap every offseason. Definitely not, yeah. I mean, you're bringing in Jaron Mangum and Josiah Davis to compete there. I mean, at this point I'd say – probably more likely that that running back is on the roster right now than than otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I, Fontenot seems to have gotten back in the good graces. They're not using him a ton, but when they did use him, he looked really comfortable. Um, so, I, you know, obviously I'm biased there because I already made that prediction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I do think that he has a chance to be pretty good. Um, I mean, I don't think it'll be Bo Bichirat. How about that? But Bo Bichirat's going to have a big role uh, on offense next year, whether you want him to or not. No? No. I don't think so. I really don't. Okay. We have another question about the running backs. This one from The Dude Abides. Good username there. He asked, any chance a running back not named McMillan, Evans, or Bishrat gets any significant touches later this year? Could the redshirt rule mean we get a look at Smith or Broussard? I'm concerned that, concerned that an injury to McMillan could be detrimental to that position going forward, and I'm wondering how the depth pieces are progressing. If you, if there's another back not listed there that gets significant touches, it's going to be Fontenot, not Smith or Broussard. Broussard's well, hurt, hurt. Yeah. yeah, so it's definitely not going to be him. I mean, I think either Smith could maybe play a little bit too, but yeah, Fontenot's going to be the first one. To me, yeah, if they're blowing some teams out at home, you'll probably see Fontenot. I mean, they have four games to play these guys, so if they can give McMillan some, you know, a break in the fourth quarter of, you know, like the Oregon State game maybe, um, they'll probably do that. McMillan transferred here to get a ton of carries. And, I mean, I don't know if you're necessarily going to give him 30 carries every game going forward like you did against Arizona State, but... He can be your workhorse. I mean, injuries happen in football, but you can't, big, go, you can't limit his reps because of that. Yeah, he's a big body that, you know, is capable of taking punishment, but it also seems to me that he finds ways to not take direct contact. He's had a lot of glancing blows. He always seems to be falling forward, which is a sign that he's creating the, that contact rather than taking punishment. Uh, so to me, yeah, I mean, he's fully capable of having that, workhorse load. You think he's an NFL back? I think he has a chance, for sure. I mean, his speed has definitely been more impressive than I expected. He's good out of the backfield. He seems to be a willing blocker. I mean, he has all the tools. I don't think he's going to be a guy that's super highly coveted, probably. But yeah, I think he has a, he's going to have a chance. Might get an invite into the combine, for sure. He's on pace right now to rush for about 1,200, 1,300 yards. 
LJBuff04 asks, can you ask Trayvon McMillan what entrance onto the field he likes better, ACDC at Virginia Tech or Ralphie? If our fans could create the same type of atmosphere for Ralphie, it would make a huge difference. Actually, a week ago, Brian Howell and I and I think Michael Clark were going down the elevator in the Champion Center and Trayvon was in there and Brian asked him about that. And he, I think he said something along the lines of ACDC definitely gives you goosebumps. It's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, but, I mean, I don't think he's going to give, he's going to say Ralphie at this point. He's, we're in CU gear. Um, very, very unique, different experiences for a player. Um, I don't, yeah. I, I, I would agree with the question, though, in, in that, that all of the stuff that surrounds Ralphie is so lame. Like, the song leading up to it is lame. There's like, there should be a, there should be a video that pumps up the crowd, and there should also be something that the crowd is doing. Like there should be, yeah, in unison going on there. And really, it's just a lot of people not paying attention, which is sad. Until until Cartman from South Park right. comes on, that's that's pretty lame too. Yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of funny, and I like it, but yeah, the the, the music associated with the whole deal just ruins it for me. Like it's okay. not, it's not that cool. You want something like. To really rev up the crowd, yeah. And, okay, yeah. and and they should have to be like doing it. There should be a chant or something in unison happening there, okay. so that everyone knows what's about to happen. Nippus thirteen asked, "I think Abrams has been great all season long." In the post game analysis Adam did recently with Brian Howell, Adam mentioned Miller Slaughter as the next CU cornerback draft pick. I feel like Abrams is good enough to be drafted. Thoughts? Is there a trait like speed or something I'm missing that would keep him from potentially being a draft pick in your opinions? For what it's worth, yeah, Miller Slaughter seems to be the real deal, and I hope he gets an entire game at some point this year to solidify his spot. You know, there's no question that Abrams has a chance at the NFL. Yeah, he's quickly moved his way into into that consideration. I would say, I mean, if you're going to talk about what's going to hold him back, he has speed. Straight line speed is going to be one, although that seems to be less of an issue than I was concerned about going in. And two for me is just he's frail. He's a pretty skinny kid. Now, obviously, when you're 6'3", you can get away with that a little bit because having that wingspan helps, too. Akella Witherspoon was pretty, yeah. pretty frail guy as well. I would say Akella Witherspoon is a better athlete than Delrick Abrams right now, but I do think he's quickly worked his way into being on scouting reports. Yeah, he's... Uh, yeah, I don't think he'll be an early draft pick. I mean, he's still got another senior year to come up, too, so he's got some time. Uh, if it wasn't for Akello having the success he has in the NFL, I would maybe question it because of his frame. But Abrams is actually more physical than Witherspoon ever was. At yeah, that's certainly true, especially early on in his career. Um, he's, he's not afraid to be physical. I, he's, he's been really imp- The thing that's most impressive to me so far, honestly, is that he's been willing in run support. There were two plays in that ASU game that if he doesn't make the tackle, they score on it. Two plays where he was the last line of defense, safety had gotten blocked inside, gone. Eno Benjamin, gone, if Delrick Abrams doesn't make the play, and he made both. Elrod asked, is it just me, or does this team have a lot of likable characters this year? Who's your favorite player to interview so far this year, Adam? Lots of good players to choose from. Montez, Katie, Javi, etc. One guy to throw in there is Mustafa Johnson. Not to stereotype defense alignment, but honestly, they're usually not the best interviews. Um, he's very insightful and honest. I think he gives good answers. He'd be on my short list. 
Montez will probably win best interview. We vote on that at the end of the year. He's, yeah. he's always got a couple of yeah. good one-liners. Yeah. <laughs> he's got the good quotes. And he, he pisses off the CSU media, so I'm, I'm on board with that. <laughs> yeah, it's a very likable team. It's not like last year's team was just a group of miserable guys, but when you have a couple senior leaders that are calling reporters the F word and, you know. Listen, last year's team was soft mentally. Every single complaint, everything that wasn't positive about said about them in the media was brought up on Twitter. That is soft. This year's group has none of that. And honestly, if you don't want people to say negative things about you, play well. Then you won't have to worry about it. <laughs> and none of that happened last year. Like that team, that team got so big for their britches so quickly last year. And it was super frustrating to see because a couple of those guys I was huge fans of and way bigger fans than I probably should have been. Bryce Bobo, I wanted to start like two years too early. And he ended up just like crying about everything on Twitter all the time. Dude, just... People are going to say negative things about you, and when you play poorly, that's what happens. Go prove them wrong. The thing that I don't understand is none of these people want to say bad things about a player from Colorado. They want all those kids to be perfect, but sometimes they're not. Yeah. Well said, Tyler. But this year, obviously, they don't have that. Katie Nixon did retweet something after the UCLA game about yeah. So much for everybody gets to eat. That yeah. was that, that was like you you don't want to see any of that because you start venturing back no. to that seventeenth. Well, first step. of all, he got like seven touches in that game, and they threw to him on a couple of deep balls, and they just missed. Like, <laughs> I mean, come on, dude. Lavisca Chanel is having an unbelievable year. He's like your best boy. Like, let's not do this. Like, come on, man. You're, you had you especially after this past game. He probably has four hundred receiving yards, right? Three hundred something. Yeah. He's on pace for like. Over 700. 700. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not like you're never playing. Yeah. JDub925 asked, if you had to grade our defense, what grade would you give them? Additionally, where would you rank them among the Pac-12? They're third in the Pac-12 in scoring defense and sixth in yards allowed per game. Sixth seems more appropriate. I mean, obviously, we haven't played anybody good, so the scoring, the scoring one is going to be... I mean, I can say for sure Washington is better defensively than Colorado. That no Utah one, as well. That one could not argue. Yeah, Utah probably as well. Washington State is going to be right in that same wheelhouse. Cal, honestly, is probably better too. Um, so I would say somewhere in that third or fourth to sixth range is fair. What, what grade would you give them? Um, an A. An so A? Okay. Far. I mean, they're a lot better than we expected, which has to be taken into account as well. Um a lot of guys who we needed to see improve have done so. They've got a lot of, I mean, they're bringing back a ton of guys next year, too. I mean, the future looks very bright for this team. I mean, you're going to have, who are the three best players on defense right now? Nate Lamon, Mustafa Johnson, and, well, maybe Rick Gamboa or maybe Delrick Abrams. Yeah, I mean, so two of those guys for sure are back. Right, I mean Mustafa and Javier Edwards is going to be hard to replace. Yeah, for sure. But I just mean Mustafa Johnson and Nate Lamon are the two most impactful guys. They're for sure back. They can't even leave if they wanted to to the NFL right now. So you have to feel pretty good about the future of this defense as well. To me, yes, no, they're not one of the best defenses in the country, but based on expectations, they've been. Very, very, very solid. And the second half adjustments thing is what sets it over the top. I mean, they've given up three, I think it was, 
fourth quarter points the entire year. That's insane. Again, a reminder that Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by EverPillow by Infinite Moon. These guys are huge Buffs fans. These amazing pillows are made here in Colorado. They were even highlighted on CBS Denver News last week. Not only are they great pillows, but they help employ former felons, addicts, and homeless. Great pillows with a great purpose. They're fully customizable pillows for every sleep style. Just add or remove the natural fill to get the pillow exactly how you want it. No chemicals, memory foams, cheap polyfoams, all natural and ridiculously comfortable. Support a Colorado company that loves the buffs and makes an amazing product. Save 10% now at infinitemoon.com and use GoBuffs in the cart. Always free delivery, and they offer a 100-day risk-free trial. Everpillow by Infinite Moon, made by us in Colorado, perfected by you, infinitemoon.com. That's I-N-F-I-N-I-T-E moon.com. Dangerous asked, how close is Winfrey? Would be huge to have him for USC. Update on Kyle Ford. Can't hurt our chances for him to see how we are using Visca. Jawan Winfrey, uh, up in the air for this week. Um, you did see him in a walking boot pregame. But they, I, I was right next to him in the parking garage after the game. He doesn't look like he's anywhere close to playing. Well, the, part of that was um, he didn't have a setback, but it wasn't progressing the way they wanted. So they gave him some type of injection, injection that's supposed to increase the blood flow there, which they're hoping will speed up the recovery process. Uh, so that's why he made me look more hobbled. Than, uh, they're, they're hoping that that will kind of jumpstart things for him. I hope so. We'll see. It'd be nice to get him back out there, although it's obviously at a good position for us. There's still a lot of weapons. He missed 2016 with the torn ACL. Theoretically, if he misses this season due to this injury, uh, having only played a little bit in, what, two games, um, a medical would be a possibility. McIntyre says at this point they haven't even thought about that. Yeah, I mean, I guess you really only want to worry about it if you have to. Yeah. It's if he's not back though in like three weeks from now, don't you start to think about that as a as a possibility? Yeah. He asked about Kyle Ford. Uh, hasn't really been any earth shattering news with him, but Colorado's definitely in the mix. He has said Oregon's recruiting him the hardest. Um, yeah, I mean he tore his ACL, so mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see. I mean, teams are going to drop off because they always do. Um, I would still be going after him extremely yeah. hard. So that might help us that's not the way that you want to get a kid obviously having him get hurt but I hope they continue to recruit him extremely hard because he would be special in this offense Chevrolet is a great recruiter if LaVisca Chanel wins the bullet in a Kyle Ford I mean that's yeah. whether you get Kyle Ford or not you're going to get some studs <coughs> receiver next recruiting cycle they've got Braden Huffman Dixon a four-star guy committed this year um, and Tariq Luckett who's actually a four-star on 24-7 sports committed at receiver so uh, not, the least of our worries is receiver recruiting at this point. Yeah, <laughs> we keep somehow we're like, oh, we've been full at wide receiver for like three months. They keep telling us we're not taking another one, and then all of a sudden Levante Chanel is coming, and then all of a sudden Kyle Ford's back in the picture. It's like they they, they just can't help themselves. <laughs> they want that talent. Ellie Buff asked, which four star recruit does CU have the best chance at? Kyle Ford's a five star, so I guess he doesn't qualify for this question. Um, hey, there's a lot of like three star guys. They've got 20 commitments, and I was told they're going to sign about 23. Probably, but by at the end of this, it'll end up getting closer to 25. But um, I don't know. It, 
I feel like someone that's not on the radar. At this yeah, point. it's going to be somebody. If Colorado keeps winning and there's these coaching changes, mm-hmm. they're going to go swinging for some of these guys. Yep. Uh, I think it's somebody. Yeah. Right now, we don't really know about at this point. Yep. Buff Nick asked Greg Bill, is the most recent player from Nebraska to announce a transfer. What do you think of? Programs restricting the school to which a player can transfer. How egregious is it that Frost and Nebraska to not only block the Big Ten and upcoming non-conference opponents, but also block Oregon State since it was a likely destination? That's pretty petty. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's soft. So here's the thing. I understand not letting someone go to your conference opponents. I even understand not allowing someone to go to your non-conference schedule, even though I don't like that as much, but I understand it. Just randomly, randomly in quotations, putting a team on there that you know is the team he wants to go play for is soft. And it's the most Scott Frost thing ever. There's a lot of there's a lot of like rumors circulating about how he handles things and you know, he sent that clip to the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. That I was told that he sends clips to the Big Ten every week. So nothing that he does surprises me anymore. I thought they were actually going to come in and, and make it so where teams can't block Transfers to certain schools. I mean, I think that's fair. Uh, it, it is interesting with this new four-game rule, though. You are seeing a, f- a handful of players before they play that fifth game getting out of dodge. Uh, but it's honestly not as many as I thought. Okay. People people were concerned that there would be like five guys on each team transferring before that game, and it didn't happen to us. Nobody left. Um, and from what I've seen, it's only been really a handful of team of guys on teams that are really struggling. You know, ASU uh, had a couple happen. It sounded like to me, Nebraska are the are the two main ones. Besides that, there hasn't been a ton nationally. Yeah. Movie buff asked about our observations from men's basketball practices. We actually were at a men's basketball practice before coming over here to record this podcast, so we're gonna get into that soon. Uh, but before we pivot over to basketball talk, he also asked, which is the higher number? CU losses or Nebraska wins in 2018? That's a really tough question because you think about it, I think right now with CU, most likely scenario is eight or nine wins. Mm -hmm. I don't think Nebraska is winning four games. I don't think they're winning three. So I guess the answer to me is the higher numbers, CU losses. Is Nebraska losses? Or Nebraska wins? CU losses is the higher number, yeah. That's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. I mean, I think right now CU is going to be 8-4, and 9-3, and three, most likely. And Nebraska, I think, is going 2-10. and 10. They do have quite a few winnable games coming up on their schedule, as bad as they've played. I mean, do they? Yeah. I mean, the Illinois of the world. Didn't they lose to Illinois last year? Yeah, I mean, I mean, but it's still not a, a very competitive division they're in. No, it's not at all, but they suck. Yeah. I'll say CU losses too, but I think it's going to be close. I think it probably will end up being tied. That works for me. <laughs> you want to give us your Pac-12 power ranking, Stella? Yeah, sure. So, I don't know. We I think we need to come up with a new name because... The, uh, the lack of power rankings or something. Okay. Because this conference has been frustrating, <laughs> to say the least. All right, what do I do? I always start from the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so obviously Oregon State it is the bottom. At least they're entertaining. They score some points. Brian Lindgren putting up points. Yeah. Uh, they also 
give up like 816 rushing yards a game. <laughs> they're kind of they remind me of in 20 was it 12 when C went 111 and it's like guys were just breaking records <laughs> yes. week after week. Yeah, just, you know Benjamin ran for what 320 yards or something crazy against them. Yeah, I mean for what it's worth, you know Benjamin was impressed. I couldn't believe they didn't use him more in the second half of our game, but he looked impressive. He has juice. I mean, every time he cut to the outside, I was like, dang, this dude has some speed for yeah. how big he is. Um, anyways, UCLA, I have 11th. Um, <laughs> going to sound stupid, and I can't believe I'm saying it, but they're probably one of the better 0-5 teams I've ever seen in college football. I really don't think they're that bad. I mean, I don't think they're a bowl team, but yeah. in most years, a team with this talent level probably goes 4-8, and eight. and I don't think that's going to happen for them this year. I have Cal 10th right now. Uh, I feel like that Arizona game, they just let it get away from them. There's so many mistakes. Uh, they, you know, obviously that North Carolina game has turned out to not be really of any importance. North Carolina is terrible. They're uh, just, I feel like they're so limited offensively. It's going to be hard for them to win a ton of road games in my eyes without being able to score any points. Um, I have Arizona right ahead, right ahead of them for obvious reasons. They just beat them. They seem to have righted the ship enough to maybe like sneak their way into a bowl game, but they're still the most disappointing team in the Pac-12 probably in my eyes. Um, I have Utah eighth. They, I just feel like they're Utah. <laughs> you just never know what to expect out of them. They lose a lot of games they shouldn't. They win just enough games to stay relevant. I mean, the, how they, they that Stanford game, like, who knows? They they could end up being a contender in the South, or they could go 7-5, and five, which is, seems like is what they do every year. I, offensively, they're just so hit or miss in mm-hmm. my eyes. I mean, Tyler Huntley was unbelievable in that Stanford game, but we haven't seen enough consistently out of him. Um, right above them, I have Washington State. Washington State beat Utah already this season. Um so that was just kind of a natural progression for me. They've been, probably, I guess, better than I expected them to be this year with all that's been going on with them. But they're a flawed team, I think, as well. Pretty inconsistent. You never really know what you're going to get out of the Cougars either. Um, I have Arizona State at six right now. Um, I think they're probably better than their record will show this year. They have a tough schedule. They're a physical group, good quarterback play. I think their defense is honestly fairly solid as well. Um, I was pretty impressed with them overall in that game. I thought that was easily the best team we've played so far this year. Uh, I have USC 5. They'll finish higher than this, I'm sure. They're, you know, turning it on a little bit. Got smoked by Stanford and Texas. Um, who actually, you know, Texas has obviously turned out to be better than I think mm-hmm. people were expecting. So... This game this weekend will say a lot about them. I have Stanford four. Uh, again, pretty good offensive team, but nowhere near as physical as you were used to seeing that ball club. They're getting dominated on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. It's pretty surreal to see that happening. Um, so that's where I, I mean, I think honestly we're a more physical team than they are, which is pretty interesting. Um, I have us three. Uh, Oregon, I think they obviously have a loss, but I think they've proven more so far, and I was pretty impressed with what they've done so far this season, especially in that Stanford game, even though they found a way to lose somehow. Uh, it's a phys- more physical group than 
most Oregon teams are historically. So to me, they have a chance to really make some noise. They have Washington this week, and I think a lot of people are going to pick them to win that game. So that'll be interesting. Washington. What's the, do you know what the line is on? It's three, uh, Washington minus three. Okay. So it's basically. I'd, I'd take the three points if I was. Yeah, I game. think most people are feeling that right now as well because I think I have Washington number one, but they're not a national title contender at all. Their offense is not nearly as talented, or I guess that's not the right way to put it. They're talented, but they don't perform up to those to that talent level. Defensively, they're very good, extremely good. But that team, as long as Jake Browning is there, I just think is limited. All right, we came, like I mentioned, over from a men's basketball practice before this. I know, Tyler, this was the third preseason practice I've been able to make it to. It was your first one. Uh, you don't want to go overboard with observations on, on yeah. that limited amount. Uh, but did you have any general takeaways? Uh, they're not finishing 10th in the conference, I'll say that. I mean, it was a sloppy practice. But they, <laughs> if people watch basketball practices, they think every team in the country was bad. <laughs> That's, I don't think people understand. It's not like football where it comes together a lot more fluid, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, you know, basketball is always, there's a lot of missed shots and turnovers. and You're you know, mixing and matching players on right, different teams. Right, there's walk-ons playing yeah. and stuff, you know. <laughs> like, it's, like, there was that one point today where all three of the best defensive players were on one team, and they had Lucas Seward bringing the ball off the court with someone else, and it's like, yeah, let's not do that, maybe. <laughs> you know, so it's, yeah, it's sometimes a little bit uglier to watch, but this team is really deep. They have a lot of athletes, and there's a lot of grown bodies on this team compared to previous years. Um, they're not huge, but they're big enough for college ball, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're going to surprise some teams. I mean, they they have a lot of ways they can beat you. My only real concern right now is that two-guard, I think they have too many guys who are one-trick ponies. Evan Batty is not a one-trick pony. He can pretty much do it all. Uh, I don't know if I've ever been more anxious to see a CU basketball player playing games than, than I have with Evan. Yeah, I, based on what I saw today, I still think maybe he's a little bit of ways away from being a huge minutes guy on this team. But we'll see. I mean, I'm going to try to get to some more practices and see how it plays out. Um, I, I just think he's been gone off the court for a long time. It's going to take him a little while to get fully comfortable out there. But, I mean, obviously everyone's rooting for him. He's the, one of the best kids you'll ever meet. Their schedule this upcoming season leaves a lot to be desired. I actually talked to Tad Boyle about that after practice today. And he said there was not any team in any major conference, and then he also included the American Conference and the Big East, there was not one team in any of those conferences that would schedule home and home with Colorado with the first game being in Boulder. And they needed that this year because of all the road obligations that they have. I hope that's true. And I believe, yeah, make that right, I believe it to be true. You could see the frustration yeah. in his face right. when he was talking about yeah. it. Yeah. I don't know. I, you can't make a rule that says you have to play a certain number of Power 5 teams in non-conference, probably. But I really wish there was a way to severely punish teams for being unwilling to do those type of things. Because playing Alabama State doesn't get you better. 
doesn't do anything for your program, doesn't do anything. And it would, it's just frustrating that that we have no room for error, basically. You can't lose any games. And it's not going to be fun. Like No one wants to watch Colorado play Delta State University, Mississippi Valley. You know? That's not fun. And it's frustrating because basketball is already <laughs> a huge second fiddle in Colorado. And now there's no reason for a lot of these fans who want someone else to follow besides the football team to go. Yeah, I asked Ted Boyle, I said, would you want there to be some type of restrictions put in there for these men's basketball programs putting their schedule together? And he said, of course, but he said it's never happening. He was pretty mm-hmm. emphatic that that's just not something that's going to ever get past. So yeah. it is what it is. What does the rest of the Pac-12 look like? Uh, we don't really know. Losing a lot of talent. It's going to be interesting. I, I will say this. I think Washington is one of the more underrated teams in the country that I've seen so far nationally. They're, I hate to throw betting terms in here right now, but they're 300-1 to 1 to win the NCAA tournament. Now, I don't think they're going to win the NCAA tournament, but that means they're not even considered to be a tournament team whatsoever. And I think they're going to finish either first or second in the Pac-12. Uh, they bring back everybody from a team last year that was kind of in a similar boat to see you. Uh, young team, you know, NIT-ish level. Uh, and outside of McKinley Wright, they have the best guard in the conference. So, um, they, you know, they have Noah Dickerson back. So if you follow basketball at all, he's one of the better big men in the conference too. They are going to be pretty solid. UCLA was expected to be pretty good. They've had two true freshmen there that are out for the year already. So that's going to be interesting to watch. Who knows how Arizona is going to come together. They have so many new bodies. It's going to be hard to see them being a top 10 team again. Um, USC has got an incoming freshman who's really special, but it remains to be seen whether he'll be able to carry the rest of that roster moving forward. I think it's going to be similar to what you saw last year. There's not an elite team in the conference. I think it's going to be a deep league, but not a lot of tournament teams. You mentioned, okay, this isn't a team that's going to finish 10th. I think the Pac-12 media poll had them 8th. I don't know if they've officially done the Pac-12 oh, okay. media poll yet. There was, like, Athlon or something had us 8th. Oh, okay. That's what, it what was. I'm confusing it with. Yeah, I think the media poll is next week. You've only seen one practice, so I give, uh, you have the right to change this as you watch more this preseason, but what would be your current expectation? I think they're going to make the tournament which most people are going to say that's crazy, but that's fine. Um, I think they have one of the best guards in the country. That's If you want to be successful in college basketball, you better start there. Uh, I expect Tyler Bay to be very solid as a sophomore. I think Dallas Walton is a quality big man. I think Evan Batty has a chance to come in and make some things happen. Naaman Wright is your only senior, and he's not going to be you know, George King, but I think he can help this team. I think Shane Gatlin can come in and do some things, especially shooting the ball. Obviously, Lucas Seward came on really nicely at the end of last season. I think he has a chance to make another step as well. And Deshaun Schwartz, I think, probably will be the real key as to just how special this team can be. As Tad Boyle said, Deshaun did some curls for the girls this offseason. <laughs> <laughs> Tad would say that. <laughs> That's hey, looks like he's put on a... He said he actually hasn't changed. His weight hasn't changed, but he was more muscle. He was always a stocky kid. 
And now it seems to me like now he's he's going to be physically imposing. He'll be able to get to the basket at will a little bit more than he had previously. I'm listen. I feel like usually I'm pretty level on how I view this basketball program. There's the lack of respect that this team this year is getting. I've never seen anything like it nationally. Like it just doesn't make sense to me. And we said similar things about the football team this year. And that turned out to be true. So we'll see. Tad Boyle really likes the competitiveness of this group. Uh, after the first couple practices, he said it's almost getting too physical in practice because there's so much competitiveness. And yeah, I mean, there's guys fighting for minutes on this mm-hmm. roster. Yeah. You didn't mention DeLeon Brown, who uh, is one of the more underappreciated guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love Dell. I've been a fan of Dell for a long time. Defensively, he's great. I just think he's got, he's got to put the ball in the hoop this year or, or he's not going to play. Um, that's I think it's as simple as that. He missed a lot of wide-open shots last year, shots that you got to take if you want to play at this level. So to me, this is a big year for him. You mentioned Shane Galley, and I did an interview with him. Also talked to Deshaun Schwartz, have a basketball notebook. So we're starting to get into the swing of things there as well, uh, along with our football content. Again, buffstampede.com. We're running a promo uh, from Thursday, October 11th in the morning, all the way until kickoff on Saturday evening of the USC-CU football game. Uh, if you like this podcast, definitely consider supporting the website to give you access all the way through the rest of the football season and leading up to the early signing period for football. Uh, Tyler, any parting, uh, parting shots here before we, we sign off? I don't think so. I mean, I'm excited that basketball's back in the swing. i got to start working on my big basketball yeah. piece that I always do. <laughs> don't have as much time as I have in years past, so I'm going to start getting in on that early. It's like... It ends up always being like what seven thousand to eight thousand, yeah, something crazy like that. So, how angry are you going to be while you're doing the schedule portion of that preview? Uh, I mean, it sucks. I mean, that's one of everyone always loves that piece because yeah. I break it down like kind of in you know segments. Everyone always seems to find that interesting. This year, it's going to be tough to find those segments. I feel, yeah. and of course, we start with five of seven on the road in the Pac-12, like we somehow always do. So that is a frustration for me as well. All right. Well, that's it for this Buff Stampede Radio. We'll be back with a new show pretty soon. Thanks for tuning in.